everyone. This is Greg Trevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine and your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is John Del Vecchio. John is the founder of Street Skills, which offers in-person and online training for motorcyclists to improve their confidence on the road. He is also the author of Cornering Confidence, the formula for 100% control in curves. Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine, and your host for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is John Del Vecchio. John is the founder of Street Skills, which offers in-person and online training for motorcyclists to improve their confidence on the road. He is also the author of Cornering Confidence, the formula for 100% control in curves. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. So I'd like to start at the beginning. So, you know, when did you start riding a motorcycle and how did you get into the training that you're into? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you asked that question. I, uh, this week, I got my motorcycle license 20 years ago. So soon after that, uh, I started subscribing to Rider. And so this is really a big deal for me to be on your show uh, because I've learned so much from Rider Magazine over the years, but it's really hard to believe 20 years has gone by uh, since I first, you know, fired up a motorcycle, uh, going specifically to, you know, my, my appearance here on the podcast, uh, I became an MSF coach in 2007 to about 2017. So I was an MSF coach for roughly 10 years. Uh, I'm also a high school teacher. I teach drivers out in the summer. And it, it's like, I'm always teaching somebody something. And so I, I did that again for about 10 years. And as I was an MSF coach, I was always looking beyond that basic uh, riding type of skill set. And I decided in 2015 to start my own school, uh, more for advanced training. I call the school street skills. And I originally hosted uh, track day courses in New York State and did coaching tours at BMW rallies around the country. After about three years of that in 2018, I published my book, Cornering Confidence. And that book has served as my lesson plans and curriculum ever since. Then in, in 2019, I launched my online course. And next month, I'm launching my new trail breaking camp at Americade, and I'm pretty excited about that. Well, awesome. Yeah, I'll be at Americade as well. Uh, that's a, a great rally and it's a, a good opportunity to have some uh, uh, some students on hand to, to learn some things as well as do some of the touring. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, your training philosophy. It, it, you know, again, if you've, uh, many of our listeners have probably gone through an MSF basic rider course, maybe they've gone through an advanced course. Um, I know when I went through it years ago is it was, you know, they assume no prior knowledge and it's really allows people to just get their some, some, for some people, their very first introduction to even being on a motorcycle. But if you're providing more advanced training, um, how do you, what are you taking people to the next level to do? Yeah. So, so you, first I'll just answer the question about the philosophy. You know, it's interesting because people will say safety, training, and all these things. And, and if, if you want people to just run away from your next level training or, or skill development, just call it training or safety precautions. Uh, I had a conversation uh, years ago. 
I actually wrote a set of flip, uh, uh, they were actually uh, flashcards based off of the basic writing skills. And I talked to David Huff, uh, want to know what he thought of this. And, and he basically said, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't want anyone to sign up for your class, just name it safety training. And, you know, that's, you know, what he told me, he, he named it proficient motorcycling because that was the vibe that he wanted to project, not ride this and you'll be safe. And of, of course we all want to be safe, but if you look at the statistics of training, there's really no proof or evidence that, that training causes a decrease in crashes. I mean, we would kind of like to think it does. You know, I mean, if you look at the numbers of crashes every year, you know, you, you can't get more uh, basic training than we have now, yet we still have these numbers that climb. And, and people really can't explain why. Now, I would really find it hard to believe that safety uh, courses like the basic rider course isn't a better way to get into motorcycling than just, hey, here's your permit, you know, take a ride. Uh, I, I think that it does have value. Of course, I wouldn't have taught the course for 10 years if I didn't think it did. And, and I do believe it is the best way to get into to motorcycling. Uh, but, but I think that the focus, my philosophy tends to be more towards enjoyment, proficiency, uh, doing this at a very high level, an expert level. You know, just like if someone were to play an instrument, uh, it, rather than hack at the instrument, there's a kind of a finesse way to, to play that instrument. And I think that's sort of my philosophy on writing for next level skills. You know, outside of traffic, let's say, traffic management is a different set of skills than, let's say, you know, the twisties. And so that would be, you know, my, my first order of business, you know, to explain to you is that, you know, I, I hate using the word training, the word safety. Unfortunately, training is, is, what is, is what it is known as when you try to communicate to people. I try to explain more that what I'm giving someone is an experience for skill building or something like that. So does that, I mean, so what do you think of that philosophy? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I can understand, especially because, you know, you're, you're training adults, you know, and adults, if many of them have already completed their schooling, people think of training as, I mean, you think of training at work, nobody wants to go through the required training, um, is that it, it sounds like a chore, it sounds like a bummer. And most people that are motorcyclists that I know, do it because they enjoy it. So they don't want to take something they enjoy and then make it seem like it's going to be work or a chore. The challenge is, of course, is, you know, I'm not like you, I, I didn't learn to ride a motorcycle until I was 25. Even though I rode bicycles and did other things when I was younger, I, you know, I think kids that grow up riding dirt bikes, you know, they absorb it just like a kid playing, as you mentioned, like a musical instrument it just becomes second nature and they become extremely comfortable with it. It's like people that swim in pools or the ocean, they have no fear of the water. And so kids have, they learn to have no fear of, of the motorcycle and its throttle and so forth. But as adults, when you're learning to ride a motorcycle or, you know, you get your license is, you know, we have concerns. People have fear about not being able to put their feet flat on the ground, their motorcycle, if the seat height is too high. Uh, they have concerns about, I mean, my understanding is one of the biggest fears that, that motorcyclists have is doing a U-turn, 
you know, is it's, it seems like a pretty basic skill to have, but it is, it's slow speed maneuvering and some other things is that, so I'm actually curious is what are some of the biggest challenges that you face with some of the, the students or, uh, you know, people that participate in your training programs? What are their biggest challenges? Is it fear? Is it dropping the bike? Is it the unknown? I mean, what are some of their big challenges? You know, I'll get into what the challenges I think face most riders when it comes to riding confidently in just a second. In my particular courses, when I've done coaching tours with the BMW rallies, you know, most of the people, believe it or not, come across as more fearful of looking like they don't know what they're doing, you know, and not fitting in with the club. And I'm not saying this in a derogatory way. You know, we have this we're by ourselves every day or with our small riding groups. And then we go to this training event or this rally and we, it's kind of like our affirmation. Do we, you know, do we fit in this and that, um, you know, I think you mentioned something about uh, the, the low speed turning and that kind of thing. And so I, I think that when it comes to just riders and their confidence and what really gets in the way, you know, in my book, in my courses, I talk about confidence equals experience plus knowledge. So those are you know, two of the three challenges right there uh, that we may be talking about. But uh, people not riding in the areas where they feel like they lack confidence can, ca can cause trouble. So if you're if you're afraid of traffic or you don't feel comfortable in traffic, well, you're not riding enough in traffic or in the twisties, same thing. You know, you, you have to spend more time there. You know, the knowledge part, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's like, I just remember all the years I've been riding, I just pushed off so many techniques because it was almost like brain overload. It was, look, I, I can ride a motorcycle. I, I'm in control, I think. If I add this new thing, it's gonna, it's different from what I do. So I, I need to kind of put up that that wall and say, look, I'm not gonna bring this into my house today. And, and I think that attitude towards next level training is being something that's you know that should be ignored or down, you know, downplayed. I think that hurts people. Uh, I know people read magazines like Rider, they read books. They watch videos on YouTube. There's some really good YouTubers. I don't need to, to explain that to you. It's, it's part of today's world. But at the end of the day, people really don't have the knowledge or the, 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 the technique that they want. For example, you try to tell someone a technique, you may, they may or may not get the technique. So you have to have them demonstrate the technique, which is very difficult when you're trying to teach someone, someone to ride a motorcycle. You know, I'm not on the motorcycle with you. I can barely see what you're doing from afar, even if it's a parking lot class. And, and I'll say that either teaching someone how to ride a motorcycle is probably one of the most difficult things you can really do because even in a car, you're sitting next to them. You know, when you're teaching someone to play an instrument, let's say, or, or wire up an electrical system in a house, you know, you're standing right there and it's not in motion. Uh, and, I, and I guess the last challenge would probably be, you know, just the availability of next level training. Uh, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg concept, you know, uh, well, I don't offer the classes because no one signs up for them. Well, no one's signing up for them, so we don't offer the classes. And frankly, the biggest motorcycling schools 
the ones that teach the basic rider course, you know, their main crop is the newbie rider. And if they have to give up a range for, you know, an advanced training class that may not even fill, you know, just from a business standpoint, it just makes things more difficult, you know, and uh, it, there's a lot of complexities that go into to teaching people how to ride motorcycles outside of a parking lot, like coaching tours and track days are enormous events. And, you know, you can find next level training if you look, but it, it does take effort. Well, and I guess it also depends on on the motivations that people have to to be motorcyclists, uh, you know, to ride a motorcycle. For some people, it's very social. They may not put many miles on their motorcycle. They may it's a way for them to get together with friends and they meet up on a on a Saturday or Sunday and go for a ride. Um, but there is this sort of axiom about motorcyclists is that, you know, a, a motorcyclist who's been riding for 20 years uh, may not necessarily have 20 years of riding experience. They have one year of riding experience they've repeated 20 times. As they get to whatever level of comfort and proficiency that they develop early on, and if they don't push themselves or they don't have that desire to, and it's not necessarily about just, I want to ride a lot faster. Um, it's not necessarily about someone wanting to race or go onto a racetrack. I mean, your 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 uh, your company is called Street Skills. It's I mean, because that's what the vast majority of motorcyclists are going to do is ride on the street. Is that you know we always talk about the twisties and the curvy roads and so forth. Is from I know from my personal experience is that I even though I enjoyed riding on those sorts of roads early on, it wasn't really until I had been a motorcyclist for a number of years. I'd gone through uh, several different training programs, and like you said, I went from, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know to I, then you, the next level is, you know, what you don't know. And then you maybe get to a point where you're like, as, as you know, the, the purpose of this training is so you can ride much more comfortably and confidently, even at speed, at whatever speed, in whatever situation you can deal with traffic, you can deal with challenging roads that you've never ridden before, decreasing radius corners. You can come into a corner and see that there's a hazard in the road and you're confident enough to be able to go around it to anticipate it. Uh, so yeah, you have to, you have to be a special kind of, uh, of motorcyclist or a particular motorcyclist that wants to really cultivate those skills. And that requires time and effort. Sometimes it requires money. And that's not what I guess everybody's willing to do. Yeah. Along those same lines to even add more complexity to it, there's other variables involved. For example, what I'm teaching in my school and in my book, it may not be a preference of a technique for another person. So some person might like what this person teaches, part of what this person teaches, and, and you only know what you like and what you don't like by exposing yourself to various techniques. So you have, not everything works for everybody. And then you have the, the intersection of sort of uh, your experience level and a certain technique. For example, when I was first starting out, you know, and I heard the, the concept of trail breaking and I'm like, well, look, I don't need to know this. It, it's, over, it's, it's overloading my system to understand this new thing. I'm comfortable where I am. Let me just ride my motorcycle and take the experienced rider course or whatever. But then as the miles added up and I spent more time in the corners, 
then it started to make sense to try this new thing. So you have to have a certain, you have to be ready for exposure to a certain skill. And then you have to, you know, or technique, and then you have to be uh, someone that likes it. And so my program, the cornering confidence program, and uh, it's, it's sort of a, it's a mosaic of different skills I've learned from different places that is a recipe or a formula that has worked for me. You know, and I, I, I think that I, I might have kind of skipped over a little bit about what I'm actually teaching. So did you want me to just elaborate a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you mentioned cornering confidence, you know, uh, I have a copy of your book. Uh, you know, the subtitle is the formula for 100% control and curves. And I think that's a very, you know, that the word confidence and then control, those two words are pretty important because that is, again, it's, it, it's not necessarily always about somebody riding faster to beat somebody on the road or on a racetrack but it's to actually be able to derive more enjoyment from riding. Um, like you were talking about, your mind can be overloaded. If you, if you, we all have only so much mental bandwidth. And if you're so focused on your, uh, you have anxiety or fear or concerns, then you don't have enough bandwidth left over for enjoyment. So yeah, let's go into it a little bit. I mean, cause you've got more than a dozen chapters in this book. It's not a, it's not a thick book, but it's chock full of information about um, body position, braking, throttle control. Um, yeah. Like for example, with the body position, you introduced something called the kiss the mirror technique. Like what is that? Yeah. So I, I wasn't uh, the first to, to phrase kiss the mirror. I think I might've been the first one to actually have the guts to, to phrase it like that in a book, you know? Right. But uh, that was, that was one of the phrases that really uh, kind of gave me the the image that I, I needed to really explain the technique. And so I can, you know, get to that in just a second, but I wanted to just kind of start, I'll, I'll kind of end this with answering your question. But um, after a few years uh, from 2015 to 2018, you know, I was kind of trying to decide where the direction of my school was going to go. And I decided in 2018, basically, you know, I was going to do one thing and do it well, focus on the cornering skills, because, you know, I found that the MSF, it's really tough to beat the MSF for, uh, for traffic management. And, you know, Eric Trow and Staying Safe has beat, has, has kind of improved upon that. And, you know, although I've never taken the course, a lot of my friends have, and I've been reading about, you know, from Eric for a long time. And, you know, that training is really, uh, it, it's, it's mental strategies and, and just the little, the little quips that he puts in the back of the magazine, you know, for uh, if, if someone's behind a hill, that kind of thing, right? Right. So, so traffic management, I felt, was covered. And I still think there's a lot of people doing good cornering skills techniques, but I felt like that was what I wanted to focus on. And so all my various course, course methods teach the same curriculum. So it's my specific method or formula for cornering confidence. It's primarily upper body positioning, which is the kiss the mirror thing. We'll talk about that technique and brake throttle transitions with a specific hand technique. So th those are sort of the crown jewels of what I'm teaching. Now the, the kiss the mirror technique is basically we, we want to just get our upper body to the inside of the turn it, it does it does many things for us. It helps us turn the motorcycle a little bit easier. Okay, we're going to steer with the bars, but 
by getting our, our let's say shoulders inside the turn, we're going to kind of facilitate the turn. And it also, uh, it also has the effect of straightening out the motorcycle more vertically upright when you're cornering. Okay, so that's, that's kind of a general principle that if we can get our body inside, the motorcycle leans less. And there's, you know, there's, there's many benefits from this, but we're going to get more stability, ground clearance and lean angle and reserve is sort of the three things that I that I promote is a benefit of keeping the motorcycle more upright. And so that that's where Kiss the Mirror comes into play. And you know, I've I've taught this, you know, this curriculum to, to a bunch of people. And they they really come come back and say, man, this is, you know, they'll get off the bike and they'll say, gee, that kiss the mirror was really, it really did wonders for my confidence. You know, at first, when you have, when you get your, your upper body inside the turn, it might be a little unsettling because you're kind of leaving the bike behind you a little bit, but it does give you more of a sense of stability on the motorcycle. So that, that's the kiss the mirror. And, you know, most people get that almost instantly. Well, and having, you know, I guess what uh, they call like a mnemonic is basically just some way some like when you say kiss the mirror, that is something that will stick in someone's mind about what they need to do. If you said you need to lean more into, you know, off the bike, that's just it's not concrete enough. It's not something that will sort of lodge in someone's brain. But that little sort of thing that's an anchor that will help people remind them of what they're supposed to do because it has a visual component to it. Um, it's not like you said, the phrase itself, kiss the mirror is not something someone would think to say, but it but the but the idea is there and. I mean, I can understand that because, you know, I have um, I've had a crash where I was riding just straight up and down in the seat, not knowing any better. And just I was on the tail of the dragon, in fact, and I was just riding around a tight corner. I went in too fast and I was just leaning and leaning and leaning. And then there were sparks. And then all of a sudden I ran out of cornering clearance uh, and it just levered the rear wheel off the ground. And so had I obviously adjusted my cornering speed that would have helped in the beginning uh, if I had you know um, uh, you know judged that a little better but had I leaned off the bike and allowed the bike to stand more upright um, I probably would have had a, a better outcome so I can certainly understand the value of that is that every bike has a finite amount of cornering clearance and it varies widely cruisers have very little cornering clearance some touring bikes don't have that much it's really only some of the you know sport bikes and then the tall adventure bikes that have a lot of cornering clearance. So, uh, depending on what you're riding, you really need to be able to adjust your body position to compensate for that. Yeah, exactly. You would think that a cruiser rider would be the less the person less likely to shift their shoulders inside the turn. Yet they're the riders that probably could benefit the most because of the lower clearance on those motorcycles and. You know, one of the things we could talk about here with, you know, the lean angle, you know, a lot of people, what I'll tell them is, okay, we're going to try to lean the motorcycle less by getting our body shifted inside a little bit. And, you know, people have come to me and said, well, geez, I like to lean. You know, I, you know, you're telling me not to do the thing I enjoy doing. Well, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that, you know, you're still leaning the motorcycle. It's just going to be less lean at the same speed in the same radius, basically, the more you lean in, the more upright the motorcycle is going to be. And what this really does, I talked about the, the three reasons why we really want to straighten that motorcycle up as we corner, but uh, 
one of the, the, the biggest ones is the stability factor. So one of the misconceptions out there is that the more upright a motorcycle is, the more traction you have. But, but if you look into the science behind it, which I'm not a scientist, but uh, you don't get more traction just because the motorcycle is more upright. It, it's going, you're, you're dividing the traction it for, for braking, turning, and, and accelerating in different ways, depending on whether the motorcycle is upright or not. So where, where the benefit of being more vertically upright can really help just the weekend warrior is that when I say you get more stability from a, from a less leaning motorcycle, what I mean is that if the motorcycle were going to lose traction, if it were going to you know, get a little uh, loose, let's say, you have a better chance of regaining traction the more vertically upright the motorcycle is. So if you're, if you're leaned over to, to the maximum and you hit that oil spot or that leaf pile or whatever it is, you have, you know, it's probably gonna be over before you know it. Whereas you may have a little bit more time to react the more vertically upright the motorcycle is. So, you know, I've, I've uh, you know, I build that as one of the most important things. And, and if you read other books and, and, and uh, resources, you'll hear the same thing, that it's, you get, you get more stability, the more upright you are. And then, in, and of course, by kissing the mirror, the motorcycle is more upright, but you also get the benefits of, in the corner, of being able to go to change your line inside or outside. So if I come into, uh, let's say I'm in the tail of the dragon and I'm leaned over all the way, if I can go to the outside of the turn very easily if I have to change my line. But now if I'm trying to go to the inside of the turn, if I have to change my line, I could start dragging things and it could be a problem. So with a more vertically upright motorcycle, and the best way to get this is with a kiss the mirror body position, it gives you those, those two options. For changing your line well and what's interesting is that for the again the vast majority of motorcyclists that uh you know uh that i know and you know probably are, are street riders is that there are plenty of people that ride off-road but that's a totally different skill set and i know that whenever i go back and forth between the two it's i always have to sort of recalibrate my brain but is that um you know when you're when you're riding on the street what you're talking about is again you said at the beginning this is upper body position this is not hanging off like a MotoGP rider. I mean, there are some people that do that sort of stuff on the street. It's usually not necessary if you're riding fast enough that you're gonna drag a knee on the street. Um, you're probably riding in the wrong environment for those speeds. Um, but, you know, so it's it's not as though someone has to hang off the motorcycle uh, like they see in some of these racing photos or, or track stuff, but you're really talking about really just from, from the waist and, and above is moving that uh, towards the inside of, of a corner and you know, I think what people may not appreciate, they're like, oh, well, I ride this, you know, 600 pound motorcycle, 700 pound motorcycle, and I only weigh, you know, 200 pounds or something. But boy, just a slight bit of, you know, changing body position, the, the dynamics and balance of a motorcycle can be affected quite a bit. I think people don't maybe, some people don't fully appreciate how much of a difference it can make. Yeah, one of the, you know, when you're, you have very few opportunities in life to actually design a curriculum or to write a book on cornering, you know, and, and I, I, I think I, I feel lucky enough that I've been able to do that, you know, and uh, 
I, I think, okay, well, my, my market for the book is not racers, it's sport touring riders, it's weekenders that are gonna be on the road. And you know, they may only get a chance to ride once a month for eight hours on a Saturday. So you have probably done track days where you've used more lower body leg movements and it can get exhausting. And, you know, what are we out there to do? You know, if you go to a track day, you're going to spend 15 to 20 minutes going 100%, moving your body around, and you're probably going to get somewhere between 45 minutes to, you know, whatever to, to recuperate. But when, when you're out on the road, I mean, you're, you're riding all day. So I will sometimes move a little bit more of my body inside. So if I'm on tail of the dragon, I might slide my butt cheek over a little bit more and, and hang off, not, not like you're dragging a knee or anything, but to get more of my body weight inside. But generally speaking, it can all be done waist up. And I think people, people kind of like the idea of, of being able to do that. And just to kind of add another point to that, when I teach people how to control their speed with you know, brake to throttle transitions using you know, two fingers on the brake lever, which we can talk about in a little while, but um, we can control our speed 100% of the, of the time through 100% of the curve. And so we can slow with our brakes so that we don't have to really lean off. So we can, if we can control our speed better, it sort of eliminates the need on the street to have to move below the waist. Right. Well, you know, and I understand that, that like I said, I, I referenced, you know, this situation, it was years ago on the tail of the dragon where I just went into that corner way too hot, you know, and I, I think I'm better at judging that corner speed or entry speed now than I used to be because, um, you know, getting right into the middle of a corner, especially if it's on a road you've never been on before, can really be the last time to start making a bunch of decisions. You know, it's, 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 it's not that it's too late. It's just you have fewer options. And so um, because there can be an unexpected surprise, there could be something in your lane, there can be some, like you said, an oil slick or so, something. So um, yeah, it, you know, that comes with experience judging entry speed and so forth. But that way that you've got more options once you're in the corner. And so yeah, let's talk about these, you know, throttle and brake transitions that you advocate uh, in, in your book. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, riders should really keep in mind if even if they're not going to ride at a spirited pace in the twisties or whatever uh, my you know a phrase i like to use is never corner with your right hand in a fist meaning we don't want to tip into that corner with our four fingers fully grip, uh, wrapped around the grip because we may have gotten off the brakes too early we may want to go back to the brakes. And one of the things they teach in the basic rider course is never use your brakes in a turn. And that serves you very well your first two days on a motorcycle. And maybe even your first year or two, okay, until you kind of get more, more comfort with your, your speeds and that kind of thing. But if you actually ride on the road a little faster in the turns, we don't want to release our brake at the entry point, because like you said, you went in too hot. So think about when you went into that corner, let's say you went into the corner or somebody did with their four fingers curled around the throttle grip. 
So now they're hoping that they guessed their entry speed correctly and they have not, they can't do anything at this point except write it out and see if they guessed correctly. And that is a confidence killer. So, but if I rest my two fingers on the brake lever and I come in with those two fingers still on the brake, I can then transition to throttle, rest my two fingers on the brake lever. It would be the same thing as going in as with four fingers on the grip, except now I can hold on to the brakes longer if I want to, so that I know for sure my, my speed is correct. I'm at my lowest mile per hour speed in the turn, and then I can transition out. Now I can also go to the brakes with a very light touch and this is, you know, an advanced skill. I mean, you're not, you know, it's it's one of these things where you can tell someone, okay, I'm going to teach you now in this course to use your brakes in the turn. I'm telling you to only use maybe 5% of your brake pressure enough to turn on the brake light. And then next thing you know, the guy gives a whole full hand and then they fall over. Well, you told me, right? Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of the wrong way to do it. We don't want to give too much braking, but you'll see that in, in many advanced courses, even the MSF courses, uh, they will show you to, you know, you can use the brakes while leaned over. And so this is not a skill to, to be taken lightly. It's just that one of the things that, uh, th that is at the really centerpiece of what I'm teaching is something I call the secret weapon because it sort of looks when you put your two fingers out like you're holding a, um, you know, a weapon. It's like, uh, it, it just, again, those mnemonics or whatever you said, the the things people put in their head. So we just, we would rest our first few, uh, two fingers on the brake lever. The other two fingers on our right hand are curled around the grip and we can just roll it up or roll it down. And it's a technique that gives us 100% control of our speed, very little reaction time. We, it allows us to make very smooth transitions from slow to go. And I try to work people up from the basic straight line use of this to when they're going a little faster in the corners, they already have it down. And it's it's not a technique I invented. This is a technique that's been around for a long time. Many other coaches use this technique, teach this technique. Uh, it's it, And I just um, found a way that I wanted to explain it to people to get them there, you know, from an idea to actually doing it, you know, there's a lot in between. Well, so when you're talking about the secret weapon and, you know, having the two fingers, uh, you know, resting on the lever doesn't mean they're always pulling the lever in the, the front brake lever. So you're talking about trail braking. Now, I know that is a term that is somewhat mysterious for some people. I, you mentioned it earlier as an advanced uh, cornering technique. And I think, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about it a little bit because I think there is, is kind of a misunderstanding. One, just the term trail braking sounds like a dirt bike technique. You know, sounds like you'd be doing something on a trail as you're yeah, yeah. You know, braking while you're on a trail, but that's not what trail braking is necessarily. So, how can we sort of take a little bit of the mystery out of trail braking? And you started doing that, but just so people get an understanding of, of what the technique does and, and how it can serve them and when they're cornering. Yeah. So, trail braking is one of those terms where people heard it. They don't want to ask someone what it is because they don't want to reveal they don't know what it is. So they start making assumptions of what they think it is. You know, for many years, I thought it was just dragging your rear brake. Uh, for, uh, and also, 
Um, the term trail breaking really doesn't describe what you're doing. And what I kind of, what I think about trail breaking in my head is that it's not really a breaking technique. It's an advanced cornering technique because the trail, you know, going into the turn with your, with your brake, front brake still on, you have to then complete the, the cornering process by releasing the brake and rolling on the throttle, which makes it the full cornering process. So one of the ways I like to explain it to people, so if we learn, if we learn how to do brake throttle transitions just when we're riding around with our two fingers in the, you know, the roll it up and roll it down technique, as I call it, with the two fingers resting on the brake lever and the other two curled around the grip, and we can kind of roll it back and forth. If we learn that in any riding environment, any situation for braking and going, throttle, braking, whatever you want to call it, then it comes down to our entry speed into the corner. So if I go into a corner, it, you know, behind what I would say an RV. So you got the, the camper in front of you, you're in the twisties, you're, you're going below the speed limit and you're using what I talked about those brake throttle transitions. So you're going to go into the turn, maybe on your brakes going very slow. And then as soon as you lean into the turn, you'll transition to throttle because you need to, because your speed is slower. Now you pass the RV and it's an open road. So now you're choosing your entry speed and you're gonna choose to go in faster. So you're still gonna use that braking technique coming in on the two fingers. And then you'll hold that just a little bit longer as you tip in. So you're gonna brake beyond the entrance point of the turn and you're still holding onto those brakes. And then when you're at about your lowest mile per hour speed, you'll transition to the throttle. You release the brake and then transition to the throttle. So when we, when we make the transition at the entry point of the turn, we just basically call it rolling on the throttle. When we go deeper into the turn before transitioning from brake to throttle, we call it trail braking. Right. It's simply the same technique. It just happens to be where you trail off the brake pressure taper off the brake pressure and roll on that throttle as you exit out. And so, so that's how I'm trying to demystify it because it's, it's a very misunderstood technique. Well, like you said, the, the, the term used to describe it doesn't really help provide any insight. And I think, you know, uh, for some riders, you know, is, you know, any of the motorcycle controls are not necessarily best used in just an on off. Like, you know, you don't just do zero throttle or wide open. You, and with braking, you don't just grab a quick handful, you know, but I think what may happen for some people is when they're like, okay, I need to stop braking before I tip into a corner. They just release the brake suddenly. They just like let go of the lever. And just as you can brake and you ought to, you know, get experience braking by providing progressive pressure on the lever, you provide, you release the lever as progressively, and that's how this that can work. You're you what you want, and you know, and, and again, to not to bring racing into it, but people often say, you know, uh, uh, smooth is you know smooth is fast. You know, like you want to be slow at the controls, you know, and so forth. Is 
you want to be smooth at whatever it is that you're doing, even if you're going fast, because any abrupt change in the use of the controls, whether it's the brake or the throttle, even the clutch, because there's a lot of grit friction zone that you can use in a clutch, it's not just in or out, is that uh, the, the, uh, the load on the tires will be more progressive. It won't be an abrupt change from grip when you're straight up to if you grab a handful and then you overload the front brake, that's how you would skid the front wheel. Um, and also the suspension and the chassis is going to, uh, it's going to settle and unsettle the load and the suspension more gradually rather than, abrupt, again, abrupt changes to the stroke of the suspension is what can lead to, um, you know, a loss of traction at the front or the rear wheel. So this is the, the smoothness that you're talking about. Not only does it help you ride more confidently, but how that confidence sort of manifests itself physically is the bike just feels more at ease and it's more connected to the rider and it's not doing things you're not expecting it to do because you're not giving sudden abrupt inputs to it. And so that's all very subtle and, and sort of feels like a little bit of a gray area, but it's, it's almost like people just need to be a little bit more thoughtful and um, uh, subtle, you know, in some ways. For example, I know you have a, a, a chapter uh, in your book on looseness, and that's not something I've read about in other books, but, you know, you're talking about relaxation and breathing techniques, and that can sound maybe a little bit woo-woo to some people, but the idea is that if you're not, you know, if your pulse isn't racing too fast, you're not loaded with adrenaline and anxiety, is that you're going to be able to operate the controls of the motorcycle and there are multiple controls you've got to operate simultaneously. You're going to be able to do that uh, more fluidly, more naturally, more confidently. And so that yeah, anyway, so I, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's how I think about trail braking as it's just one of the techniques where you just want to be smooth in all of the transitions you're making. You want to be smooth in your tipping into the corner. You want to be smooth in your, uh, it, applying or releasing the brakes and uh you know getting on or off the throttle anytime you start doing that stuff abruptly uh, that's when you know you start running into some problems yeah to to piggyback now even further on your points you just made there which were excellent when we i have the straight principle of two guiding principles in the cornering confidence book and program the first is the straight principle we want to keep the motorcycle as vertically upright in the corner as we can for the benefits we've already talked about. The second one is the flat principle, where we want to keep the chassis as balanced as possible, okay? So that the front and rear suspension remain in the sweet spot, the more active areas. With the exception of, as we enter a turn, we, we would ideally have a slight bias on the front tire because we're asking the, the tire to now add cornering or turning traction to the, to the available traction between the front and rear tires. So we wanna kind of give a little bit more meat up front to make this turn. So not only do we want to think about when we're releasing the brake and how we're doing it, you said like the, the manner with which we do it, is it gonna be a rapid abrupt release or smooth? But we wanna think about using the brake to help keep weight on the front tires we come into the turn. So whether people know it or not, if they go into a turn and release the brake while they're still upright, it's going to rebound the forks. So now the forks, the front end is going to get, get lighter and it's going to sort of pull the tire out of the, 
the grooves in the pavement. The, the track, the contact patch is going to get a little smaller. Right when we're asking the tire to make the turn. So if we can hold the brake to turn in, even if we're going slower, if we can hold the, the front brake on, uh, even just a little bit, as we tip in, we're, we're now having a rich contact patch to make that direction change. It does other things as well. It compresses the suspension in the front to make the, the wheelbase shorter so that the motorcycle turns easier. There's other things that come into play, but a lot of it has to do with we're keeping weight on that front tire as we make that turn. And so you know you really have it. The techniques that I'm teaching in, in other people are with the trail braking, you know you really have it when between curves you're accelerating so that you have to give front braking to set up the suspension to give you that front weight bias to make your turn. You know, if you're, if you're going at a steady speed in between the corners, it makes it a little bit more difficult to, to time the action of a trail braking scenario. Well, and I've, you know, had it explained to me that, you know, and again, I, some of this is sort of a trickle down thing from, from racing is that, you know, you really want to be using the control, using one of the controls at all times, either brake or throttle, is that the coasting through corners is like, okay, yes, you maybe you figured out a way to go through that corner coasting, but that's really, as you're suggesting, that's not really where you're taking full advantage of how a motorcycle uh, as a single track vehicle can um, can get the most out of its chassis and go through a corner. And some people may not fully appreciate that, again, you know, whether it's a car or a motorcycle, the, the pneumatic tires are part of the suspension system. They absorb uh, some of the imperfections in the pavement. And as you're talking about that, when you're loading the front wheel or the front tire, you know, it is actually flattening out a little bit. It's full of air. And as you put more weight on it, it flattens out. And like I said, it, it enlarges the contact patch. And therefore, you've got more contact patch to divide up between your braking and your cornering. And so right. that all happens rapidly and quickly in its physics and you don't have to understand all that stuff. But as you're suggesting is that just um, sort of tootling through a corner uh, while you're coasting is, is, is not necessarily giving you a full advantage of, of what a motorcycle can do and the control it can, can provide. So. And when you said you, you don't want to mash on the, the brakes and you don't want to be abrupt, abrupt that's a very important thing because let's say you're going into a, a corner and there's a pothole and you're braking as you come in very hard even trail braking in very hard you're going to be really you're close to bottoming that suspension out so when it hits that pothole it's going to have very little travel left in it and so going back to being smooth and, and gentle and not abrupt we want to make sure that as we're coming into the turn, even if we're trail braking, that it's not a charging the, the corner and, and getting on that brake so hard that we're going to bottom those forks because we, we want a slight bias forward in the first half of the curve, but we still want to be near the middle of its travel so that we can gain both benefits. That makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So uh, one of the questions I have is, uh, you know, you've trained a lot of riders over the years through MSF and your own uh, training is, uh, so the training that you do is most of your students are on their own motorcycles. Is that correct? Okay, so my, yeah, so my training has evolved from a couple different things. Uh, I had started doing, I did the track days where okay. people come, come on their own motorcycle and I, the biggest one I had was 20 people on their own motorcycles at the New York safety track. Okay. in near the Catskills in okay. New York, I, they're, they're, they're quite large events to put on. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, I'm a one man show. So those kind of, um, you know, are put in the back burner for now. We do have a track in Syracuse, New York, that's open recently one mile and people are coming on their own bikes. And last year I did do an event there but I'm not really doing much of the track day events just now. Then I was doing coaching tours, of course, where people are on their own motorcycle. And I, I did the coaching tours and I've done them in Virginia, Salt Lake City, Des Moines, Iowa. And those are, again, a very complex thing because you, I don't know the areas and I got to learn the areas and, and teach with any of all the traffic. So those are difficult. So what I decided to do after those were a real handful I decided to put my course online as a standalone course. And it's two years ago this week, I, the first student enrolled, and I think I had about 350 people enroll in the online course, which is basically an interactive course where the book, it brings kind of the book to life, if you will. Now, over the years, I've, uh, I've kind of turned away from doing parking lot training which I have always thought would be a really good way to do it because I can see better what people are doing. But getting a parking lot is, is one thing. And then experienced riders aren't that jazzed up to take a parking lot class. You know, you, you're going to get 10 people on motorcycles the size of, of, a, of an RT or a GS or a concourse and, and have them do things in the parking lot. It, it just, it, it never really kind of clicked with me to pursue that uh, because I didn't have a parking lot and, and so forth. But recently uh, I decided after taking American Super Camp, so I don't know if you've heard of American Super Camp, but uh, it's completely different from what I teach. But the model that Danny Walker has is really a winner. I mean, he's taking, he's taking these small dirt bikes in a small environment and he's teaching people skills to transfer to bigger machines. And I've been waiting to get into his class for a long, long time. And I finally got into there in May. And, and after taking his class, I said, you know, what a, what a ball that was. Riding a slow bike fast, learning techniques that I would never have the, the chance to learn on a bigger bike or at home and this and that. So I, I, I got the idea to create what I'm calling a trail breaking camp based on the cornering confidence curriculum. Because again, it's kind of like that term trail breaking, you know, it, people, you know, if I put a video up on YouTube or if I do a Zoom conversation, I'm gonna present on trail breaking, people show up. <laughs> if, I say, if I say, I'm gonna talk about breaking throttles, transitioning today, you know, nobody shows up. And so, so I think that those are, 
those are it's it's a good way to phrase what I'm trying to teach people to get their attention, but it's it's cornering confidence trail breaking camp. And so what I ended up doing was I, I picked up a fleet of uh, 125 cc Grom style motorcycles, and I just finished uh, this week building the, the the drills and exercises, if you will. And Americade is my is my first event. I already have half of the class sold out. And if you're going to be at Americade, you can pop. Uh, pop by on Saturday in the demo lot and we'll, I have an area there. Awesome. But this is, this is going to solve many, many problems for me if it takes off because, you know, trying to teach an experienced rider, even new skills on, on a full-size motorcycle is really, you know, it's like a bull in a China shop, you know, but let me tell you, I've been practicing on these little bikes and it's fun and they're fun to ride around. I can teach, I can isolate the skills I want to teach. Uh, I built in a challenge component. So there's sort of like this, uh, this challenge that, that will take place. We're measuring the, uh, the, the movement of the suspension for my flat principle. Uh, also precision type riding with these things for, for when we change lines, which is something we really didn't talk about today. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it because it's a, it's a nice portable school that I can bring it, it it's of a, of a scale that I can handle so you're talking six to eight students and, and then me and, and I do have an assistant coming with me in Americade but so that's that's where I'm going and that's the direction that I want to take it the the, the tours uh were, were just a little bit you know they're just a little bit hard to pull off you know sure. and, and make sure that everybody learns what they need to and and the track events you know like I know Ken Condon does uh, sport non-sport bike track days in New England. It's wildly popular. Uh, he's an excellent coach, but he also has a track day organization that right. can absorb this event. You know, so uh, so I, I basically backed off of those things. I will I will do other things, I'm sure, but right now that's the method that I'm focusing on, and uh, so. Well, I mean, that's great because, you know, funny, I've got a Honda Grom test bike in the garage and I absolutely love that thing. I'm going to see if I can maybe buy it from Honda when I'm done uh, is um, is what my question was going to be is, you know, if people are riding their own motorcycles, you've got different, you know, you've got cruisers and RTs. Those are totally, you know, a BMW RT is I was going to ask, like, well, a lot of these motorcycles, especially these, you know, advanced um, modern sport tours and so forth and GSs. Um, have cornering ABS and, and lean angle sensitive traction control, and they have uh, electronic, you know, they have semi-active suspension that adapts to the, um, uh, to the conditions. I was going to ask if that, how that affects training when you've got some of these, uh, you know, electronic systems that I find very valuable. They tend to work more in the background, but if you've got somebody on a bike like that versus somebody who is on a cruiser that may or may not even have ABS and has different corning clearance, but if you're teaching them on Grands, you level the playing field. Everybody's on the same bike. And if you've got non-ABS bikes, then you don't have to worry about that. And then, you know, everything's the same. And I'm sure that probably simplifies things a little bit. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've really never thought about that quality of doing it on this like small fleet of motorcycles that I have that are very basic motorcycles. You know, in my coaching tours, you, you know, these people have quick shift assist and all these things sometimes. And I talk about smooth shifting and, they're like, well, I don't need to really do this because my bike does it, you know, and, you know, well, I can't argue with them. Right. Right. 
But what I like to, uh, you know, if you if you read what's happening in MotoGP, the MotoGP riders are actually trying to find the point before the traction control slips in there. Because what happens is if if the rider can control the motorcycle to the just before the point the traction control clicks in, they're more precise, faster riders. And the MotoGP guys are trying to do that. They, they don't even want to use the interventions because it just, it's, you're not riding the motorcycle. Now, if you take a look at some of the cornering ABS and all these things, I mean, if one of my children were going to ride a motorcycle, I'd really like them to have these motorcycles because, you know, when you are new, especially, or if you just, you're, you're zoned out, you're not paying attention, these things can really save your bacon. Uh, but what I, what I would say is, when it comes to those motorcycles, just like many of us have ABS on our motorcycles, mo many of us can probably not even say when it came on at all. You know, it's like, so we know we have it, but we've never used it, right? So I think the same should be said for those traction controls and cornering ABS. One of the funny things is though, you may not even know the cornering ABS intervened. So, right. you know, it's, I mean, that's the thing that the modern systems are, I mean, early ABS, you could feel it pulsing and so forth, but now the intervention can be very subtle. And sometimes I'll be on a test bike and the TC light will come on and I'm like, I didn't feel anything, but it's just a very subtle a bit, you know, depending on what the sensitivity is. So, yeah. I, yeah. But these, but these motorcycles, you know, there's, um, you, it does break it down to just the basic thing I want to teach. One of the you know concerns I have is the bikes might be small for some people. You know, what I mean, because you know, if you know someone who's over you know three hundred pounds and six three, you know, it might six six. It might be kind of tough for them to fit on the bikes, but uh, but most people will fit on them just fine, and they're 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 good bikes. I, I'm going through them. I'm making sure that you know that the, the throttles right. You know, operating the way I want. I mean, many. Many motorcycles today have uh, very good adjusted throttle play. Right. I know that the GS I have, it's 2014 GS, and it, the way that BMW does the throttle uh, settings, it, there's very little play in it. But when I would do the coaching tours, I would go up to people's throttles and they would be, you could move it a half an inch before <laughs> the cables even came into play. Uh, I actually bought a motorcycle, a 2010 KTM uh, 690 Duke. I got it off of Facebook Marketplace. It had 6,000 miles on it. I love the bike. I brought it home. I couldn't believe how out of adjustment the, the throttle was. I'm like, this person must have been horrified sure. riding this motorcycle. Might have been why they sold it. They didn't realize that if they just had it adjusted, that they have a different exactly. motorcycle. So, so what I'm doing, I'm going through these motorcycles to make sure that they're they're the perfect tool for what I'm trying to do. And, you know, it was a little bit of an investment for my school to get a fleet and a trailer and this kind of stuff. Uh, but, but I think I'm going to really enjoy teaching this, this camp, this trail breaking camp. And so we'll, we'll see where it goes. You know, if you would have told me I would be doing this in 2015, when I started street skills, that this would be my, you know, my project for 2021. And, you know, I, I I'd probably be like, yeah, sure. You know, but uh, I, I really think that people are going to at least have a good time. I wanted to make sure that the, the, the the participants learn the skills, but that they also have a good a good experience, a fun time. 
you know, at a reasonable price. And so that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm going with my school now. That's where my focus is the online course and then right. this particular camp. And then if, if some, if a track day opportunity comes along, I'll probably teach people to track again or that kind of thing. But uh, that's, that's where I'm going right now with that. So if people are interested in your, your book, your online training uh, and, and your trail baking, trail breaking camp, um, how do folks find you? Yeah, I, I made it real easy, corneringconfidence.com. You know, I'm one of these people, you know, you could say I almost have a fetish with URLs. Okay, so I'll get corneringconfidence.com, trailbreakingcamp.com. You know, I, the one I don't have .com is streetskills.net. That's my, my main school because streetskills.com is somebody else. But I, it's so easy to get a URL. And if I see something like, I think trail-breaking.com was available. So I grabbed that. Gotcha. And, and that, you know, so, so I'm, I'm really easy to find. Cornering confidence is probably the easiest thing to remember. Okay. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, you've been generous with your time, you know, explaining your philosophy, the kind of training you do. I'm, I'm excited to come check out your trail breaking camp there at Americade since I'll be there as well and see a bunch of, uh, you know, Groms, I think will be a great teaching tools. So um, is there anything else you want to share with folks before we sign off? No, I really, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to have me on your podcast. It, you're doing a great job. Uh, I, I love Ryder. I, it makes me feel good to be a part of, of what you guys are doing. And uh, I, I just appreciate you, you know, giving me a chance to, to share with the writing community, you know, who I am, what I'm doing. Uh, and I, and I, I just really, you know, enjoy talking about motorcycles. It's been my life for so many years now. And to be able to teach people, you know, these skills is, is fulfilling. So. Well, I mean, that's a great service to provide for, for motorcyclists. Cause like you said, there's various types of training out there and, you know, I would always advocate and Ryder always has is that, you know, take as many courses as you can, you know, like I said, you're talking about super camp. Those are on little dirt bikes. Um, you know, there's uh, all kinds of things that, um, if, uh, you know, you'll find ways in which they'll, they will translate to street riding, even if it's in a different environment, whether it's on a track or, or it's a dirt bike or something, but clearly what you're doing is, is, is direct translation. It is direct street riding skills, but all of those things, you have no idea until you go through it, how you'll be on a ride someday and something will just click like, Oh, that's what they were talking about. And it just, it starts to gel and you, you start to, you know, connect the dots. So, uh, yeah, thanks for what you're doing for the motorcycling community. So, as I said, we'll have some links to your uh, to uh, corningconfidence.com and street skills in the show notes. And for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenson. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.